Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Again, welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time or for the first time in a while. We're glad that you're here. We're studying through the book of Hebrews together. And we begin reading this morning at verse 11 down through verse 22, Hebrews chapter 7. Starting at verse 11 and down through verse 22. Let's pray again. Always want to depend on the Lord for the help that we need to read, hear, and apply the word. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the Bible. We need you, O God, to preach. We need you to hear. Uh, We need you, O Lord, so that we, Lord, would find this seed going into good soil and bearing much fruit. Lord, give us grace to prune and tend our gardens, that the cares and concerns of this life would not choke out our fruit. And, Lord, that it would not be placed in rocky soil only to have a temporary benefit with no lasting value. Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified and Jesus Christ would be honored. We ask, Lord, that he'd be made plain to us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. (coughs) Let's uh, read together Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 11. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, one of the things that we are trying to communicate in this series in the book of Hebrews for 
our sake is the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to uh, look to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by faith in him. We want you to put all your weight on Christ. We want you to see the excellency of Christ, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the satisfactory work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. The reason for that is because even though we're not necessarily dealing with all the exact same issues that the original audience to whom this letter was written, I think nevertheless there are still the same temptations for us as there were for the original audience, for these Hebraic Christians. And that is, there is within us, because we are still sinners, this tendency to move away from Christ and to move away from Christ and oftentimes very subtly away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that the church is supposed to do again and again is to preach Christ, to preach Christ and him crucified, the Apostle Paul said. said that, that That's why also the sacraments that we observe, what are they? They are not so much look at me, they are look at Christ. We're to behold Jesus Christ in baptism. We're to behold Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper. It's not so much, look what I've done, look at my faith. It's look at Jesus Christ. The sacraments are supposed to move us away from the object of the person who is uh, receiving baptism, for example, to the baptizer, that is to God himself in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, I want to divide these verses into three parts for our digestion. First of all, number one, I want you to see that only Jesus Christ can perfect you. Only Jesus Christ can perfect you. The law cannot perfect you. The law was never given by God to perfect you. Jesus Christ and him alone perfects you. That's point number one. Uh, we'll look at that from a variety of verses, such as verse 11, 12, 18, and 19, for those of you taking notes. 11, 12, 18, and 19. In addition to that first point, that only Christ can perfect you, secondly, Christ is a better priest for you. Christ is a better priest for you. And we'll find that in verses 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and then verse 21. So 13 through 17 and verse 21. Christ is a better priest for you. And then thirdly, Christ is the guarantee or the earnest of a better covenant for you. Christ is the earnest or the guarantee of a better covenant for you. And that is found in verse 22. And we'll have applications to all of this uh, as well. So only Christ can perfect you. Christ is a better priest for you, and Christ is the earnest and the guarantee of a better covenant for you. Now, let's consider here that only Jesus Christ can perfect you. Everybody in the world knows that this is a very imperfect world. You don't have to be a strong evangelical believer to realize that. You can just turn on the news and hear, by common grace, people commenting on all the problems with the world. Everybody knows that this world is filled with issues. But there are a variety, however, of answers that the world tries to give as to how to get out of these problems. And usually, they almost never include Jesus Christ. You're going to fix this problem by, you know, government programs 
or by economic solutions or by reforming the education system or whatever it is. They are always giving. Now, there's always need for reformation in all those areas. But the greatest need that man has is to be reconciled to God and to one another. And the only way truly to be reconciled to God and also to your neighbor is through Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ can perfect you. Now this perfection will never be realized fully in this life. But the person who does sincerely seek out Jesus Christ and puts their trust in him and believes on him for what he has done for us, that inaugurates within us that process by which we will one day be perfected and glorified and even indeed sinless. That is, Jesus Christ has come into the world to inaugurate a new world, a new world order, if I can put it that way. A new, or as Paul likes to put it, a new age. Jesus Christ has come into the world to bring in a new eschatological age that will be realized in perfection, that will be fully realized in a completion whereby those citizens of that age will indeed be fully reconciled to God, to one another, and also perfected both inwardly and outwardly in sanctification and in glorification. And that is a message that no other worldview can match. Karl Marx tried to imitate it. He tried to, he, Karl Marx tried to imitate it, and he, he tried to you know, say that the root of all problems is an economic issue, and that one day through his system, we would get to the eschaton. But, you know, Marx hated Charles Spurgeon. Did you know that? Couldn't, couldn't stand. They, they were contemporaries of one another, lived in London. Uh, and um, the one guy he really didn't like was Charles Spurgeon. And that was because Spurgeon was preaching the truth that, that only Jesus Christ can perfect you. And if you leave Christ out of this, then, then there is no hope for you. Now, let's look at this from the text itself here. First of all, I want you to look at verse 11. Now, why are we emphasizing this? Because this original audience was tempted to move back to to Judaism and to leave Christ. Judaism was always intended, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was always the stem that was to bring about the blossom of Christ. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to destroy the Old Testament, but to fulfill it, to be the flower of of it. Now, if you look at verse 11, Paul says, oh, excuse me, the apostle says, (laughs) that was not a Freudian slip, I don't think. (laughs) Maybe in the heart of hearts, I do believe Paul wrote this. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, For on the basis of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? That is, Paul, the apostle is saying, if if the Levitical priesthood with their laws, their ceremonies, their circumcision, their sacrificial system, 
their purity laws, their dietary laws, their regulations with washings and all the rest that you find in the law of Moses, if that could bring about the perfection, you would not need another priest. The problem is, as the Jew knew in his conscience, the harder he tried in observing all these regulations, it didn't lead him, it shouldn't have led him to a sense of self-satisfaction, a sense of perfection. But rather, it should have led him to a despair. That I'm unclean every day. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Every day I am sinning against God and I have all these ceremonial regulations and I am regularly unclean. I am like a leper. It should have always tutored them. That's the point. You need a savior. You need a Messiah. You need a Christ who is both God and man to come into the world in the fullness of time and fulfill this law for you. Because you are a sinner. And the law was not intended to perfect sinners. The law was intended to drive you to one who could perfect you. That's the point. And so the author here is saying to these uh, Judaic Christians, don't go back to the law. The law was always pointing you to Christ. You have Christ now. And when you have Jesus Christ by faith, you have all that you need for perfection and for glorification. Because Christ has fulfilled the law. He was born under the law, made under the law, says Paul. Conceived by the Spirit of God in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he did not have that sin nature that you and I have and that we have had since the day we were conceived in our mother's womb. He, therefore, was able to do what you and I have never been able to do even a single day. And that is to give perfect obedience to God and his law and his commandments and his precepts. He was able from the moment he was conceived to offer unto God a perfect life and then to give up that perfect life as a substitute for you on the cross that you and I could be perfected one day. The law and the Levitical priesthood was always pointing you to the greater priesthood of Jesus Christ. You know what? Let me let you in on something. The Levitical priests who were godly, they knew this and believed that too. Because they read Psalm 110 just like you and I read Psalm 110. And they said, you know what? There's another priest coming. There's another priest coming who's going to be king. He's going to be a priest like the order of Melchizedek. And he's going to be a king. And the Lord has said unto my Lord, David said, and so they were always, even the Levitical priests were looking for a greater priest. The law was to tutor you to Jesus. You see, this was the mistake of many that we read about in the New Testament. It was the mistake of the rich young ruler. You remember the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler? He thinks he's got it all together, right? And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? That's the most important question you can ask yourself today. 
And a lot of people get the answer wrong. But that, that is the right question. The rich young ruler, let's not fault him there. He asked the most important question every boy, girl, man, woman must ask. What must I do to be right with God? We all know in our conscience we are not by nature holy and right with God. We know that we do daily sin against him in word, thought, and deed. What must I do? And what did Jesus do? He applied the law to that sinner. Why did he do that? Well, because he didn't really think he was that much of a sinner. <laughs> and so he gives a terrible answer, doesn't he? When, God, when Jesus applies the law, he says, you know the law. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, etc. All these things I've done since my youth up, he says. Really? <laughs> you see, he hadn't learned the first lesson about the law, did he? He didn't learn that he was a sinner. He didn't learn he needed a better priest. And so Jesus says, okay, sell everything you have. Come and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sad. Went away. He went away from the, the one person who could have given him perfection. The one person who could have brought him safely into glory and have eternal life. It was the mistake of the Pharisee praying at the temple. The, the Pharisee and the publican are both at the temple. And essentially that the Pharisee is making the same mistake as the rich young ruler. The same essence of error. I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other people, says the Pharisee to himself. I thank thee that I tithe everything I get and I fast twice a week. Now, what's the mistake he's making? The mistake that he's making is he is saying, when you compare me to the law, I am righteous. I am righteous. You see, when that's your view, you don't need a greater priest. The Levitical priesthood is all you need. When you believe you're righteous, you don't need, and you, you don't think you need, let me put it that way, a better priest. The publican who is standing in the back of the room not even willing to look up to heaven, beating his breast, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, understood Hebrews chapter 7 in essence, even though it hadn't been written yet. Because he understood that as he met with the law, the law condemned him. The law convicted him. And the Levitical priesthood wasn't able to perfect him. The Levitical priesthood couldn't give him a conscience in and of itself that was right with God because he knew in his heart the blood of an animal cannot be the ultimate substitute for me. This cannot appease the wrath of God. Surely this lamb, this animal who doesn't know what's going on and is not conscious of any substitution on his part 
for me. Though I put my hands on his head and I transfer my guilt to this animal, and this animal is killed by the priest and his blood is sprinkled around the altar, the worshiper, even though that is what God commanded to be done, he knew in his conscience that can't be the ultimate answer. This can't be the ultimate sacrifice for me. No animal can really, truly be a substitute for a human sinner. You are too great and too valuable as a person for a mere animal to take your place. It was always to cause the worshiper to look to the greater priest of Jesus Christ who would be the sacrifice himself. It was the mistake of the rich young ruler. It was the mistake of the Pharisees. And today, it is often the mistake of even rigorous church-going people. Rigorous church-going people make this mistake. I thank thee, God, that I am not like others. I do this. I abstain from that. And therefore, I am okay. What is our response to be? Our response is to be, Oh God, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. And to see that there is before us all one who is a high priest that can bring us to the perfection we need. There is no other name given unto men under heaven by which we may be saved, say the apostles, other than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what you and I and everyone must do is that looking to ourself, we see no hope. Looking to the law, we see no hope. But looking to the one who fulfilled that law by his active and passive obedience and died according to that law as a substitute as he was cursed while hanging on that cross, cursed by God for the sins that he never committed for he had no sin but became sin for us that we who by nature were unrighteous should be declared righteous in the sight of God and that God over time should make us inherently righteous even in glory. Only Jesus Christ can perfect you. Only Jesus Christ can help you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Only Jesus Christ can glorify you. Only Jesus Christ can make you perfect in soul and body one day. There is no other answer. Economically, politically, socially, there is no other answer. Religiously, there are not other ways to God. There is only one way to God. He, Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. He alone is the answer. So that's point number one. Only Jesus Christ can perfect you. Let me show you that also. I did not read uh, verses 18 and 19. Look with me there. For on the one hand, there is the setting aside of the former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. Notice then again it says, For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near. 
What is that better hope? It is the person of Jesus Christ. So only Christ can perfect you. Verse 11, 12, 18, and 19. Now, secondly, let's move on. Not only is Jesus the only one who can perfect you, but then also this text shows us that Christ is a better priest. Christ is a better priest than all of the Levitical priests combined. So look at verse 13 with me, please. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one is officiated at the altar. Now, what does that mean, boys and girls? What does that mean? For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. What it means is that the, the priest in the Old Covenant came from the tribe of Levi. Okay, They are a particular tribe that was dedicated exclusively unto God. They had no inheritance like the other tribes did with all the land, except for the little bit of land they gave for pasture lands uh, in the Bible. Because why? God was their inheritance. They were of the tribe of Levi, and they were the ones who officiated at the altar. Christ comes from a different tribe, boys and girls. Jesus comes from the tribe, not of Levi, but of Judah. Now, ordinarily, anybody from the tribe of Judah was not allowed to do sacrifices at the altar. You remember we talked about this. King Uzziah offered incense at the altar, you remember, and the Levitical priest said, Uzziah, you're not supposed to be doing this. Get out of here, and you've got leprosy now, and they rushed him out of that place. Because God smote him uh, for that presumption on his part. So why then uh, do you have God's raising up a priest from this tribe of Judah? Well, the authors tell us here. Because this is a better priesthood that God was raising up than the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was ordained by God. It had a purpose. It wasn't bad. It was a good thing for God to give the people the Levites. It helped them. It trained them. But they had their function. And that function was always ultimately to point them to Christ. It was not to perpetuate themselves forever. Because Christ would be a superior priest. Look at verse 15. And this is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek. So Christ, who appears uh, much like Melchizedek, appears historically on the scene without, you know, we don't know his genealogy. We don't know, you know, exactly who he is, where he's from, and all the details that we know about the Levites. And so Christ is like one uh, who is Melchizedek. And then verse 16, who has become such not on the basis of a law, a physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. That is, by virtue of the resurrection, Jesus Christ becomes a superior priest. Uh, Christ is from the tribe of Judah, Judah being the tribe from which the king would come. And yet, God raises up a priest from this tribe. Now, why? Why does God raise up a priest 
from the tribe of Judah from which the kings are derived? Well, look at Psalm 110. Psalm 110. This is a psalm of David. Psalm 110, notice there it's a psalm of David. We've looked at this psalm time to time in the last 30 years. And uh, those who've been here a long time, you've heard me say, verse 1, very important verse, that Yahweh, Jehovah, says to my Adonai, to my Lord, this is David speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit now, and and David is saying that God, Yahweh, we transliterate that in English as Jehovah, Jehovah says to my Lord. Notice that the Lord there is only got a capital L, but O-R-D is in smaller letters, unlike the first Lord in that line. That is just an, that's just the way that your English translators are trying to show you there are two different Hebrew words behind that same one English word. Okay, Everybody see that? So Yahweh says to David's Lord. Of course, we say, David, who's your Lord? You're the king of Israel. And we know who David's Lord is now, don't we? It's Jesus. Yahweh says to Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion. Now, what's a scepter? Well, that's something for a king to have, right? That That is something that a king, you remember when uh, King Ahasuerus uh, stretched forth uh, his scepter to Esther so that she could come and approach him. So here we have a, a, a king, but also notice though, he is also, if you jump down to verse 4, he's a king, but he's not just a king. He's got more offices than just a king. The Lord has sworn, Jehovah has sworn and will not change his mind. That is, it, notice here the book of Hebrews shows us here that they or they highlight for us the oath here. An oath is taken. So Christ is a better priest because he, he is one by way of oath. The Levites didn't take an oath. This came by way of oath from God, though. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, every Levite since the time of David read that, and they should have known that this transition was going to take place. That in the Messiah, you would have one who had, would have within his one person multiple offices. Prophet, priest, king. He would be a superior prophet because he was the word. Not just he gave the word, but he was the word. He was a superior king <coughs> because he was God himself in the flesh. And he was a superior priest because he was without any blemish and he would offer himself as the sacrifice and not offer an animal. So that Jesus Christ is better in every way. And that this one who was both prophet and priest would reign. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. Notice here that this priest king will sit at the right hand of God. Now what the author of Hebrews, going back to Hebrews chapter 7, is trying to bring out from this psalm is that Christ is far superior in every way. 
to the system that he set up in the Old Testament. We are moving from the lesser to the greater in redemptive history. We are not supposed to be moving from the greater back to the shadows in the future. We are being drawn as the people of God more and more to the reality of everything that the shadows and the types were pointing us to. Even the temple itself is not to be rebuilt physically with brick and mortar. It is to point us to the reality that in Jesus Christ, the priest king, we will be the temple for God will have his spirit in us and we will be perfected in glory. And when we gather, God will be in our midst. You are, Peter goes on to bring this redemptive historical point out, you are the living stones. Do you begin to see how it all comes together? Christ is the priest. Christ is the king. Christ is the word. You are in Jesus Christ when you put your faith in him. You become the living stones. You become the temple. And so what we do here on each Lord's Day is we are in a very small way prefiguring what God will do in eternity. When he brings together all of God's people, all of the elect from all ages, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and he collectively brings us together and he comes in Christ, in our midst, and we will behold him with our eye. We will see him as one who is sitting upon the throne as king and as priest. And we will offer to him sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving in his name. This priest is far above the very shadows of the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was important, but it was always to be temporary. It was always to give way to a better priest and uh, to a better sacrifice. Now, I'm going to bring us to the third point and make some applications. <coughs> Excuse me. And that is, it was to bring us to a better covenant. Look at verse 22. Christ is the guarantee of a better covenant. Look at verse 22. So much more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. You, point number one, only Jesus Christ can perfect you. Number two, Jesus Christ is a better priest for you. Number three, Jesus Christ is the guarantee or the earnest of a better covenant for you. What is the author here saying? So much more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now how does Jesus guarantee a better covenant? What does that mean? To be an earnest or to be a, a, a guarantee? Well, you know this from experience. Many of you who have purchased a car or a house, young children, you one day, God willing, you'll purchase a car or a house, and uh, you say, well, I like this car, I like this house, I'd like to buy this, and the salesman says, great, um, we just need a down payment. And so you say, okay, how much is the down payment or whatever, and they say, okay, and you make a down payment. What is that down payment? That down payment is what we call a guarantee or an earnest. 
It is, the, it is saying here, I'm going to give you this money to purchase this house because I don't have all the money that I need for the house right at this moment. But it, this money that I do put down will be a promise. It will be a guarantee that I will continue to make the payments on a monthly basis until the property becomes fully mine. And should I fail uh, to do that, over time, I realize that I will forfeit both the property and everything I put into it. So, what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that Jesus Christ, coming into this world, he is the earnest, he's the guarantee that everything that God promises is not just pie in the sky. Jesus Christ's obedience to the law, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of the Father and his promise to come, everything that Jesus has done, everything that Jesus has, has promised is the guarantee, it is the earnest that you and I will be perfected, you and I will be glorified. You say, how do I know I will be raised from the dead? How do I know this body, which keeps getting weaker year by year, this mind, which gets more and more tired year by year, how do I know that Jesus Christ is really going to do something about it? And the New Testament answer is, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead for just some interesting, isolated, historical event. That Jesus Christ is doing something here at a corporate level when he is raised from the dead. He is representing not just himself in that resurrection. That you are being raised from the dead as Christ is raised from the dead. What do I mean by that? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first fruit of you. The guarantee of your perfection, your glorification, your resurrection, bodily and spiritually, is that Jesus Christ bodily was raised from the dead and glorified. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet gone to my Father. Christ has been raised not just for himself, not just some kind of proof, you know, an evidence that demands a verdict. His resurrection is far more significant than that. His resurrection is God's guarantee that that which he has promised he will bring about. What more can God do for you to prove it? What more do you want from God? What more, what more can you ask from God then he should send his own son and raise him from the dead for you. Jesus Christ has given us a far better covenant. This is a new covenant. And where is this new covenant to be found? We're about to find it in the sacrament. Jesus said, it is in my body. It is broken for you. In this cup is my blood. The blood of what? The new covenant, the superior covenant, is found in Jesus Christ. Not that you should find it in a piece of bread and a sip of wine, 
but that you should find it in what the bread and wine represent, Jesus Christ. That is, the sacraments and the word are given to you to strengthen your faith in Jesus, that you would believe in Jesus Christ. He is the, the perfecter of everything. He is the one who is a better priest, a better king, and he is the one who uh, is the guarantee of a better covenant. Therefore, all our energy, all our Faith should be laid on this one person, the God-man Jesus Christ, who is both God and man in two distinct natures, one person forever. Show us the Father, says Philip. Oh, Philip, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am representing God to you in my one person. Believe on me and you will be a part of of a better superior covenant. Now, let me close us with some thoughts and applications here. Number one, from all that we have said, the fact that only Christ can perfect you, the fact that Christ is a better priest for you, the fact that Jesus Christ is the guarantee of a better covenant for you, application number one is what? Beware of leaving Jesus Christ. Beware of drifting away from one who has been set before you. Beware of anything in this world that would cause you to incline your heart away from one who loves you and has given his life for you. Why in the world would you trade all the world for Jesus Christ? What does Jesus himself say? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and loses his soul. That is a bad investment. I was watching an interview with Charlie Munger, who passed away this past week. Charlie Munger, of course, is the right-hand man of Warren Buffett, probably one of the most famous investors in our day. And Becky Quick from CNBC did the interview, and she said, what is left? He's 99 years old. The interview was done before he died. They were going to bring it out on his 100th birthday. And she said, what's left on your bucket list? And he said, at 99, I don't have the strength that I did even at 96. Uh, and, and he spoke about how he wished he could have caught a 200-pound tuna. I couldn't help but think what a sad answer. Now, I can't judge. We leave that to Christ. Well, what kind of answer would you give as a 99-year-old person if asked in an interview, what's left on your bucket list? What does it profit to be the best investor in the world and lose your soul? It actually shows you're one of the worst investors in the world. Because if you were really the best investor in this world, you would invest in eternity. You would invest everything in Christ. You're the worst investor in the world. No matter what you do, no matter how good you are as a steward of capital in this life, if you don't have Jesus Christ, Because you have nothing. The Bible says this world will burn and all that is within it. 
God will bring about a new world, a new heavens, and yes, he will bring about a new earth, but it will be a glorified new world brought about by the work of Jesus Christ. Beware of leaving Jesus Christ for that which is infinitely less. Man-made laws, regulations, self-righteous religion, vain philosophies that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. These come at us every day from a variety of sectors in our culture. And they are all saying, come with me. Teenagers, young people, there are a lot of voices out there saying, follow me, follow me. You don't need Jesus Christ. And they will lead you in the wrong direction. Broad is the road, and there are many who go down that road to perdition. The road is broad. The road is wide. The road is attractive. The road seems easy. It seems like the majority are voting for that road. But that is the way unto death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. Number two, beware, not only beware of leaving Christ, but number two application is to ask, do you want to live truly? Then come to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is life. That even when we die, yet we shall live. In Christ, we have all that we have need of in this world and for the world to come. Christ is the best priest. Number three, Christ is the best priest. Seek him. Seek him in prayer. Don't try to atone for sin by being a good boy or being a good girl. That isn't going to atone for sin. Well, I just promise I'll do better in the future. Well, number one, you're, you're not going to be able to do better in the future under perfection. And even if you could, hypothetically, it still cannot make up for what you have done in the past. There is only one place you can go to atone for your past and to give you a future of hope, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a better priest. You need Jesus Christ. You need to confess your sins to Christ. You need to go to Christ and, and have Christ heal you of your problems. Have Christ heal you of the issues that are going on in your own heart, and your own soul, the things that are disturbing you and cause you to be guilty before God. Only Jesus Christ can give you that kind of relief. There is no human priest in this world that can give true relief. Relief. 